I don't think this will be too much of a surprise, but we do have a special treat this morning of uh, some very special guests in our midst, some uh, new friends uh, that I, I have. And I, it's funny because it feels like I'm exaggerating because I've only met them a few times, uh, but they already feel like good friends. Um, and so Matt and Catherine Howell and, and Zoe, Kate, and Reed are with us today. Uh, and, and Matt is who the, the nominating committee has put forward. And so we invited him to come and to share God's word with us that uh, we could see Jesus a little bit better uh, because of what he shares with us. So Matt, if you would come on up and, and we can welcome him as he comes up. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. <laughs> I want to hug. We can hug. We can hug. Take your water. Good morning. It's good to be with y'all. It's, uh, it's kind of bizarre to be with y'all, but I'm thankful to be here, humble to be here, honored to be here. Uh, y'all have, I feel like we've met a handful of y'all, lots of y'all, and y'all have been extremely sweet and hospitable and gracious and kind to us, and uh, thank y'all for that. If we haven't had a chance to meet you, please at least just come up and say hey by the time church is over. We'd love to just say hey. Um, I thought it would be a good way to make a good first impression by picking a weird passage from maybe one of the weirdest books of the Bible. So we're going to look at uh, Judges chapter 16. It's a fairly long passage. It may be familiar to some of you. It's the famous story of Samson and Delilah. So I'm just going to read it for us, and then we'll take a look at it. And she, this is talking about Delilah, and she said to him, Samson, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times, and you have told me, you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. And then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. And she made him sleep on her knees. And she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. But the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravenger of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars, and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. 
Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once. O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray, and we'll consider it together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for... This moment, thank you for this opportunity. I pray that your spirit would come and attend to your word, that our eyes might be opened, our ears might be opened, and our hearts might be opened. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I thought maybe the best way to begin would be to uh, talk about Kanye. Kanye West, if you're unfamiliar, he's, you know, a famous rap artist. And uh, a number of years ago, he did an interview, and uh, this is what he was quoted in his interview. I'll read it to you. Quote, I'm going down as a legend, whether you like me or not. My greatest pain in life is that I will never be able to see myself perform live. I am the number one human being in music. That makes any person that's living or breathing number two. I am the number one impactful artist of our generation. I am Shakespeare in the flesh. I mean, that's some self-confidence. And uh, as, you, as you know, the big news with Kanye these days is that, is that he came out as a, a, a Christian, a Bible-believing, born-again, evangelical Christian. And so he just released in the fall this uh, kind of Christian gospel album, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. And uh, if, you're unfam- if you're one of the two or three people that haven't listened to it, the, the opening song begins like this. This is the first words of Kanye West's album that came out in the fall. It goes like this. Every hour... Every minute, every second, each and every millisecond, we need you, O Lord. And that's quite a change to go from I'm the most important person on the planet to I can't get through this millisecond apart from you because I'm so needy. That's quite a change. What happened? Well, I think um, the plot line of Kanye's life is that when he got in touch with God, he got in touch with need. And that is the plot line of Samson's life as we're going to see today. And that's going to be the plot line of any human being's life when they interact with the God of the Bible. When you get in touch with God, you start to get in touch with need, with your weakness, with your inadequacies, with your limitations. So what I want to do this morning is just draw out two ideas from this passage that I just read. Two ideas. They're this. Number one, God abandons the self-sufficient. And number two, God responds to the needy. He abandons the self-sufficient, and he responds to the needy. So let me show you where I get um, how God abandons the self-sufficient. And to get into this, we kind of need to do a little bit of the background on the context as we're parachuting into the middle of this story. But the story is the people of Israel have been at war with these people, the Philistines, and everything has escalated because of this one Israelite named Samson. And so the Philistines hate this guy. He's number one on the Philistine most wanted list, and so they bring some elders and some leaders to go to Samson's girlfriend, Delilah, 
and have ask her, bribe her with money to see if she can get him, Samson, to give up the secret of his strength because Samson's like crazy strong. If you were to read through the book of Judges in chapter 14, he, he kills a lion with his bare hands, which is impressive. Um, in chapter 15, he kills a thousand Philistine soldiers with the jawbone of a donkey. And this is why when artists make pictorial representations of Samson, he's always this jacked up, swole, you know, bodybuilder, Hulk kind of character. But here's, here's why I don't think that's what he looked like. Because if that's what Samson looked like, they wouldn't have been after the secret of his strength. It would have been obvious. It's just all the CrossFit and the protein shakes. I, th I, think, I think Samson just looked like an ordinary dude, like me. And I think on a few occasions, uh, the Lord just gave him these spiritual bursts of strength and power. And so they want to know, how does he get this strength? And so Delilah goes to him to give up his secret. In all of chapter 16, she's asking him and she's pestering him. And he keeps kind of messing with her and doesn't give the answer. And then that brings us to number verse 15, when she says, how can you say I love you? When your heart is not with me, you have mocked me these three times. You've not told me where your great strength lies. Why are you so strong? And so he eventually caves and he tells her why he's so strong. And look at his answer. This is in verse 17. He tells her the secret of his strength is in his hair. Well, that's kind of weird. But here's why he said that. Because when he was born, his parents dedicated him to the Lord and set him apart and said, he is going to be a special He's going to be in special service to the Lord, and so we're never going to give him a haircut. And so he thinks, or at least he says, my strength is in my hair. But I want to show you, I don't think he really even believes that. Because look at verse 20. Delilah, in the middle of the night, she cuts off all of his, all of his hair while he's sleeping. He has to realize his hair is gone. I mean, he had like 20 pounds of hair. When he wakes up, he knows that it's gone. But listen to what he says in verse 20. He says, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. In other words, I know my hair is gone. I know that, like, I don't, but I don't really need this. I can do this on my own. I've got what it takes. I will go out and I'll defeat the Philistines like I always have because I'm awesome. I got this. And look at how the rest of verse 20 goes. It says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. The Lord leaves him. The Lord abandons him. Why does the Lord choose to leave him in this moment? I think it's because the Lord said, okay, if you want to do, you think you can do life on your own, you think you can do your life apart from me, great. Go for it. And he abandons him. He abandons the self-sufficient. That's the principle. What does it mean to be self-sufficient? Self-sufficiency is when you functionally live your life as if God isn't there and you're on your own. You're doing life on your own. I call the shots. I'm in charge of my own life. I write the script of my life. I don't really need him. If he's there, great. Maybe I'll throw him a couple, you know, pennies every now and then. But functionally, I live my life on my own. And the Bible looks at you and me and says, he abandons the self-sufficient. And here's what's scary is that everyone in this room trends towards self-sufficiency. We all have this built-in bias to want to do our lives apart from God, all of us. And there are really two tests that you can really ask yourself and determine whether or not you're a self-sufficient person. Um, it's, it's how you deal with success and it's how you deal with failure. 
Think about success. When everything's going well, when you're kind of killing it, you're doing great at life, it's easy for you to think, I got there because of me. I didn't really need the Lord to make that decision. I just kind of made the decision. I'm smart enough to figure it out. I didn't really need the Lord to get this thing done. I'm the one that's diligent enough, and so I just did it. And then when you get success, it's easy then in those moments to trick yourself into thinking the reason why I'm successful is really because of me. I did this. And that's the definition of self-sufficiency. But think about how you respond to failure when everything is not working out, when things are falling apart, when you're hurting, when you, when you receive the horrible diagnosis, when you're scared, when you're worried, when things really do begin to fall apart. Self-sufficiency says, I, I am not going to really involve anybody in this. I can't look bad. I don't want people to see me as weak. I don't want people to see me cry. I don't want people to see me hurt. So I will bottle it up, I'll self-medicate, I'll avoid people, I'll manage my image, and I will do life on my own. And that's the definition of self-sufficiency. The scariest thing that the Lord could do for people like you and me would be to say, if you want to do life on your own, okay, you can. The Lord abandons the self-sufficient. That's the bad news. But there's more to this passage. Thought number two, the Lord responds to the needy. He abandons the self-sufficient, but the good news is he always responds to the needy. Look at what happens with Samson when he finally starts to live his life apart from God. Verse 21, that says that the Philistines capture him. They gouge out his eyes, which is a disturbing sentence to say in church. Uh, they chain him up like an animal, and they force him into manual labor. He who is really at the height of his game and could not be touched, he is brought painfully low, and it even gets worse. In verse 23, if you look at the end of this scene, they bring him into this giant Philistine temple. It's like this arena. You can say it's like FedEx Forum, packed with people, enclosed, and there are just thousands of people in there, and they bring Samson out to just, they're just mocking him and degrading him and humiliating him. He's just, he's the entertainment for everybody. Samson starts to finally get in touch with need, with weakness. He has hit a point in his life where his gifts don't help him anymore. He's hit, he's hit rock bottom. And at that spot, what do you see him do? In, in verse 28, really for the second time in his life that we know of, he prays. And he asks God for two things if you look at it. Look at verse 28. The first thing he asks is that God would remember him which is a pretty humble thing to say for somebody that was so cocky his whole life. He basically knows now he's forgettable. God, would you remember me? He's asking God for mercy. And then the second thing he asks is for God to give him strength, which is pretty fascinating. For the first time, he really does recognize that his strength is dependent upon the Lord, that his gifts are gifts. They were given to him. They're just not a part of his built-in innate awesomeness. He recognizes that he's dependent on the Lord for the first time. And now that he's weak and now that he's blind, now he can finally start to see. Now he's getting it. It's, uh, I, don't feel like it's, I don't feel like we're too removed from December where we can't talk about Rudolph still. Um, you remember Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. Um, you know, he's a weirdo. He, he's, a, he's an outcast. He's got this weird nose. He's got this glowing nose. And, you know, all the other reindeer, they would just laugh and they'd call him names. And they didn't even let poor Rudolph 
join in any of their reindeer games because he's such a weirdo. He's got this weird nose. But as you know, as the story goes, um, it was a foggy Christmas Eve, and uh, you know Santa came to say, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? And what's fascinating is that it's Rudolph's weakness that becomes the thing that helps Santa save Christmas. And that is a theme as well that runs all throughout the Bible, which, which is this, that your, your weakness is your greatest asset. And consequently, your gifts are your biggest liability. Your weakness is your greatest asset, and your gifts are your greatest liability. Think about your gifts, your, your creativity, your diligence, your, uh, I don't know, however you're gifted, your strength, your intelligence. Those are amazing things. They're gifts. But the danger of your gifts is that they can blind you into believing that you're not 100% dependent on the Lord. It can be your gifts that trick you into not trusting God with your life because you're so gifted. But when you get in touch with weakness, when you get in touch with your limitations and your addiction and your failures and your anxiety and your depression, things about you that you may hate, it is those things that actually begin to drive you into the arms of God. It's only when you get in touch with weakness do you start to look outside of yourself for a savior. I need help. It's only when you get in touch with weakness that you begin to look outside of yourself. This is why Jesus said, Whoever does not receive the kingdom like a little child shall never enter it. Jesus says there's something about being a child that is a picture of what it looks like to receive the kingdom. Now, what is it about children that are so special? Here's what I think he's getting. You know what children are? I'll tell you what children are for the children in the room. Looking at my child. Here's what children are. Children are bottomless pits of need. And they have zero shame about it. I mean, our, our children are constantly coming to us. Mommy, can I have more water? Daddy, can I have another waffle? D Mommy, where's my coat? Daddy, I can't find my shoes. Just need, 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 need. And they have zero embarrassment. And Jesus says, that's the picture. They get it more than we get it. They know what it's like to feel out of control, to feel needy, to feel weak, to feel dependent. And they have no problem asking for help. And Jesus says, it's beautiful. That's the picture. You know, the older I get, the more I, I think that my biggest spiritual problem and our biggest spiritual problem is independence. It's this instinct to want to do life on your own. And so the solution, therefore, of the Bible is get more desperate. Get more desperate for Jesus. There's a... Um, uh, a pastor in Lookout Mountain named Joe Novenson, and he says, the feel of faith is not strength, but it's dependent weakness. If you want to know what faith feels like, faith is, doesn't feel like strength. It doesn't feel like you're strong. It feels like dependent weakness. That's what faith is. Faith is just coming to God with empty hands and clinging onto him because you have nowhere else to grab a hold of. Faith is just desperation directed toward God. And here's what Psalm chapter 9, verse 10 says. God never forsakes those who seek him. He always responds to the needy. He always responds to the needy. And Samson is finally needy. And so God responds, 
And he gives them one last burst of strength and power. He's blinded and he's, he feels for the two pillars of this pagan temple and he pushes with all of his strength and the, and the pillars collapse and the, the temple collapses in on itself and it kills everybody in the whole arena, Samson included. And here's what it says in verse 30 as this whole thing ends. It says, so the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. And Israel is saved from their enemy through the death of a deliverer. Now here's the question, why in the world would the Lord draw towards someone like Samson? Because he's a total train wreck of a human being. If you've ever read through his whole story, he's a disaster. He's, he's self-sufficient, he doesn't want God in his life. Why would God be gracious towards someone like Samson? And here's why, because there is a greater Samson that this Samson is pointed to, and it's King Jesus. Just like Samson, uh, Jesus was handed over to Gentile oppressors. Just like Samson, Jesus was mocked for entertainment from his abusers. Just like Samson, Jesus was, was chained up and tortured. Just like Samson, Jesus was blinded. And just like Samson, Jesus delivers his people through his death. This always raises this question, why in the world did Jesus have to die though? Why did he have to come so low and suffer and become so weak and so needy. And here's why. If Jesus came as this conquering king and he said, follow me, then only the strong would be able to be saved. Only those who could keep up, only those who could kind of jump through the hoop up here could be saved. If Jesus came as this religious guru and he says, here's what you need to believe, here's the things that you need to do, and then you'll be saved, well, then only those who are strong, only those who are moral, only those who are good, only those who are wise would then be saved. But when Jesus becomes weak and low and humbled and he suffers and he dies, the bar is so low, he basically says, anybody can come. All you need is need. You don't need to be strong. You don't need to be smart. You don't need to be wise. You don't even need to be good. You just need to need. But self-sufficiency doesn't have need. It has no room, it has no space for need. In fact, it finds the whole story of Jesus unnecessary. It finds the story of Jesus confusing and boring and offensive. But if you know your need, if you know your own propensity to mess your life up, if you know the great debt that you owe God because of your sin, if, if you know how needy you really are, then the story of Jesus never gets old. It's always and will forever be good news because it is a story that gives you permission to be weak. And it's a story that tells you that God meets you in your weakness. And in a mind-boggling way, it's a story that tells you that God even uses you in your weakness. He always responds to the needy. Here's the last thing I'll say and then I'm done. There's a song that we uh, sing in our ministry, in RUF, at the University of Tennessee. I don't know if y'all sing it at Redeemer. It's called Abide With Me. And uh, y'all sing that here? I don't know, maybe? No clue. Yes. Um, just no facial expression, just this. Um, we sing Abide With Me as well. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but it's a, it's a song about your own death. And I have to tell our, I'll tell our students, this is what we're actually singing about here. The first line of the song uh, goes, abide with me, fast falls the eventide. Eventide is kind of an old way of talking about evening time, 
which is a metaphor for the end of your life. And so the first verse of the song goes, abide with me, fast falls the even tide, the darkness deepens, Lord with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. The author of this song is basically on his deathbed and he's looking around to everything that he looked to in his life that helped him, that comforted him. Maybe it was his money, maybe it was his success, maybe it was his gifts, whatever. But as he gets to the end of his life, he looks around and he realizes all these things are just about gone. And when I hit this point, when other helpers fail and comforts flee, he turns to the Lord in his weakness and he says, oh Lord, you're the only one that can help me. You're the help of the helpless. Would you abide with me? And that's what Samson realized. He gets to the end of his life and everything that he built his life on, his gifts, his strength, his intelligence, it all starts to run out and it doesn't help him. And for the first time in his life, he gets in touch with weakness and the most self-sufficient anti-God character in the Bible really turns to the Lord in weakness and says, would you abide with me? My um, final thought is this. At some point in your life, if it hasn't hit you already, all of your other helpers are going to fail you and your comforts, all your comforts are gonna flee. At some point that will happen to you. And my prayer for you is that when you hit that point, when all of your other helpers fail and all of your comforts flee, that in your weakness, you would turn to the Lord and ask him to abide with you. And the good news of the gospel is that the Lord always responds to the needy. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are generous and you are gentle and you are kind with us who are weak and needy and out of control and dependent. I pray that as we move through this life, you would give us more and more desperation for you more and more love for you, more and more of a sense of our need for you, that we might stop being tempted to turn to help and comfort from things that will ultimately fail us and flee us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you've given yourself for us. And it's in the name of King Jesus we pray. Amen.